Welcome to episode two of the Inking Out Loud podcast. I yes, am your co-host, Drew McCaffrey. I am your other co-host, Rob Santos. And we have our special guest, Jared Livingston here, who is our new yes. reader. As Hello. We are Welcome back. Finishing Elantris today. Elantris part two, and I guess part three. I actually, for some reason, I totally forgot that Elantris had three parts because the first part was just the entire first half, right? Oh, Parts more two and three. Half. Yeah. yeah, you're right. It was like, it was chapter 27 is where part one ended. So what, what happened off screen here? I just see you giggling. Chapter uh, 27. I, I just cracked open my beer and, yeah. and it made a wildly hissing noise. <laughs> so, but don't worry. We'll, we'll awesome. get to what I'm drinking at the end of the podcast because awesome. it is, is yeah. actually thematically appropriate for Elantris this time. Is it? Nice. It awesome. Is. Okay. Now you've piqued my interest. Yeah, no, chapter 27 is where part one ended. And then I saw that, that there were even more chapters after that, like more than 27. Because uh, I was, again, I was going through the audiobook just trying to find where I had left off. I was listening to this at work for the past week. I haven't been able to actually read uh, on my own. But uh, yeah, uh, part two and part three is exactly what we're going to be covering today. So obviously there's going to be spoilers for anything and everything Elantris in terms of Brandon Sanders and Cosmere. And we're going to be discussing its place in the Cosmere as a whole as well. Yes. So uh, we're going to be spoiling the crap out of Brandon Sanders and Cosmere during the latter half of this podcast. I, I, I will say, as far as that goes, we should try to avoid like plot specific Spe Specific plot points. Okay, yeah, that makes but, sense. But I, I like the idea of discussing Elantris and, mm -hmm. and the planet Cell, which is the planet yeah. Elantris takes place on. Right. It's place in the Cosmere. Yeah, and how how what like you know how the shards work with or against their their mm -hmm. greater whole. Um, so uh, we finished the book now. I, can, I I'm actually admittedly relieved because I can talk about anything now. I was very very worried last podcast that I was going to spoil one or two things. I came very close yeah. to spoiling about fifty things, <laughs> and now I don't have to worry. Now I can just say whatever the heck I want to say, which is great. Yeah, um, so so let's pick up um, from where part one left off, which was uh, Hraithan had just taken the poison that he commissioned yeah. from, where, where, where was that, like uh, Sporin or, or, or Yeah, Fordel it was in uh, Roval. It was, uh, it's a Fjordan uh, yeah, yeah, country, province. yeah. And, province, and, uh, and so part two opens with the revelation that it wasn't poison, it merely gave him the physical... Uh, symptoms of being an Elantrian. Yeah, he was a pseudo Elantrian for what was it, five days? Five I think days. after that. Yeah, and so um, he uses that as a you know, a political tool and a religious tool. To, and it's genius to fake a miracle. Essentially, it is genius. I, it was that was one of the points where I came to actually love Raven as a character. I was like, damn, this guy. He's serious business. I, I was wondering, and speaking of, there's another question I want to get to directly after this. Um, but I was wondering, I was like, he was apparently involved with the fall of the Dula Del Republic months and months before. And I was wondering how one single man could be crafting and cunning, like, cunning and powerful enough to take down a, 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 for an entire religion because he took down Jesker with the Dula mm -hmm. Del Republic. And that moment was where I went, oh, okay. I can see how he could how he could have accomplished something like this. This guy is crafty. I had no idea beforehand that he could do something like this. And so an interesting thing is that when he originally commissioned these four vials of the potion, yep. he was planning on using it on Diloph. Yeah, he was. And, yeah. and, you know, 
on the surface, it seems like how would that have worked? Because yeah, it would have turned Diloff into an Elantrian, uh, you know, cosmetically at least. Yeah, but yeah. But it would have worn off. It would have worn off. So Diloff would have been. I mean, he, okay. Could you imagine? I would love to just think about Diloff's reaction if we had gotten to see that oh, oh, of his own face in the mirror being yeah. an Elantrian. Like, oh my God, that would have been awesome. Unless he was just planning to kill Diloff. Well, no, no, but he wasn't. He was planning on giving the poison to him. But what yeah, I think, what I think his plan was, was that he was going to give Diloff the poison and then do the same thing he did for himself: pray. Oh. vocally and publicly heal him for the healing mm. yeah and that would have made Diloff so thoroughly in his in debt. his debt yes oh my god i hadn't would considered have been that a master stroke you're right before this i had only thought that maybe he was just trying to get Diloff out of the way for for a crucial few days you're right i didn't even consider like wow he could have absolutely gone through and be like dude come on Thank yeah. me now, right? Like, like you, you, you owe must me. must be subservient to me now. That is true Odiv behavior, son. All right? <laughs> great, great, awesome. Oh, so I just I just remembered my question, but I, before we get onto that, I want to see if there's, um, like, like, what were your impressions, Jared, specifically? Like, did this book end any in any way that you had kind of predicted? Um, I wouldn't say in any specific way that I predicted. Yeah. You made a couple of good predictions last time. If I'm not, I did not see, I did not see Dylith coming. Yeah. On as strong as he did. Um, True fly. Yeah. Yeah. That that as far was as Ra one as far as Wraithen goes, he might be one of my favorite Sanderson antagonists. Absolutely. I may have He's to think about him on a reread. Well written but... character. So much depth to that guy. I love it. Like, um, and on the subject of Wraithen, the question that I I just thought of five minutes ago that I'm now asking is um, earlier on we learned that from I think it was from Kayine uh, explaining to Serene that there were around 20 Yorns in the entirety of the Fjordal Empire yeah so where and it, we, we know that Wraithen was heavily involved I'm pretty sure exclusively involved with the fall of the Duladen Republic Correct. he was sent by Wyrn to you know ostensibly convert Erelon, even though he kind of misinterpreted that, and um, also Teod as well. He was trying to to bring Teod to to Weirin's, uh service as well. Where the hell are the other nineteen Yorns? Because Kaiyan told Serene that there are around twenty Yorns. Last that he checked, like if one Yorn can accomplish all of this, what in the hell does Weirin have the other nineteen Yorns up to specifically? That is a fantastic question. question. I I do think that. Uh, Kraithen is, if not the sort of top Gjorn, yeah, and not, not if not the right hand man of Wern, he's he's in that upper echelon. Like the fact that he's entrusted with the conversion of the Duladel yeah. Republic and says the, a lot, and and assigned to Aerolon, he's a big freaking deal. And I don't know if we can assume that the rest of those other whatever nineteen are as effective or or as potent. <laughs> As, as it were. Yeah, because they might have been chosen instead yeah. if that were the case, right? So, but I, I also think we, and, and this is something that Jared hasn't gotten to yet and we'll, we'll discuss later on, but I think we see one of them in the effort. Oh, yeah, yeah. I remember uh, seeing that and going, wait a second, something's off here. I remember reading that. Yeah, like, we should definitely discuss that. Are we By the way, I forget. Are we discussing anything else cell-related? Like Because no. there's a lot of it that appears in... 
AU, right? No, we, we should, I think we, we should uh, uh, reserve that for an Arcanum Unbounded episode right. or two. Okay. And the, the Emperor's Soul is in Arcanum Unbounded, yes? Yes, it is. Same it with is, the Spirit of Elantris, the, that the, short story. Yeah, the Hope of Elantris. A Hope uh, of, thank you very yeah, much. Those yeah. are the first two stories in Arcanum Unbounded. Okay. I did finish them just to wrap up Cell all at once. But... Oh, you sure, did? sure. Oh, okay. Good, uh, that's, a, that's a good idea. Um, oh, uh, what was I, I just... Oh, by the, uh, how about the Elantris 10th Anniversary Edition with a deleted scene at the end? Are we going to be covering that? Did you read that? Yes. So uh, when you're talking about the deleted stuff, are you talking about the, the Mad Prince or are you talking about the whole... No, scene? sorry, not, not the deleted stuff. It was the whole uh, okay, yeah, the scene with the skaze. Yeah, yeah. You, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah sorry. Deleted okay. scene was the wrong term there yeah i think we we definitely need to cover that especially when we go into the cosmere uh stuff at the yeah end here. because but but yeah. you know before we get into that i i want to bring up you know kind of one of the things we covered in the first episode but bring it full circle here and that is just the depth of the characters that brandon sanderson brought into this book yeah uh you know and there have been some threads that i've seen in in the facebook groups recently about elantris and and how much of a pushback there is to this book. So many people say it's his worst book, it's boring, it's bad. Right. I really don't think that's the case. It's not an action-oriented book. No, its pacing is very different. There is some action at the end of it, but... The first half felt slow. See, but on, on this reread for me, and this is my third read... Okay. I didn't think the book was slow. Because I went into it recognizing... This is a character study. This isn't this isn't an epic struggle. This isn't a war story the way, you know, uh Mistborn or Stormlight is. It's true. It's a very intimate personal story about these yeah. three characters, Rayoden, Sereni, and Hraithen, who yep. who have completely intertwined lives and they don't realize it. The character development, the focus on them is actually quite quick mm -hmm. especially yeah. with Hraithen where some of his key character conflicts are brought up and and even start to get resolved in part yeah. one and and by the time you get to these these decisions he makes in part three where he opposes Diloth and opposes yeah. the the Fjordel invasion yeah they feel inevitable because he's already made those decisions yeah and we saw that, and, and the way Brandon seeds those character moments throughout the book mm -hmm. is actually paced very, very well. Yeah, I noticed quite a few of those this time around that I hadn't really focused on before, like a lot of internal struggle with Wraith and the coming to grips with um, the fact that, first off, his, his faith may or may not have been as strong as Diloph's when he noticed right away that he had never really seemed to feel during any of his sermons or any of his moments in his mm -hmm. life as passionate about Shudereth as Diloph does just at the drop of a hat, right? So that, I mean, that, that from what I consider, that kicked off kind of Raithen's whole um, kind of just cascading self-doubt as he went on. But then we see near the end that he, he ended up, he chooses to kind of, and I think it was, I don't know, I forget whose character point it was that described this, but it said that he kind of threw off everything he had been taught in favor of what he knew to be right. Yeah, right? And, and, and I think it was a, an interesting sort of interaction with the intents of the shards on Cell at that point, where on the surface, and we talked about this in the first episode, you know, we have Dominion and Devotion, and Dominion yes. is the shard, you know, Dominion is Jadeth. You know, it's, yeah. it's the Shudareth religion. It, it's all about... 
subservience and and structure and all of this. Yes. But Hraithan, he buys into that, for sure. He lives yeah. his life by that. But he recognizes that what he's lacking is devotion. Yeah, that's a good point. You're absolutely right. Hraithan ends up being this kind of ideal hybrid of the intents of both of the shards on Cell, where no other story or no other character in the story is. You know, Rayoden and Sirini are fully on the devotion side. Yeah. You know, and, and part of it is because they they are rulers themselves. They're they're a prince and a princess. You know, sure. they're not used to the idea of of a, a structured dominion, especially with Rayoden and, and Aerilon, where there's this weird noble structure and yeah. it's like based on money. Yeah, which is... there isn't any kind of uh, substance to it. Yeah. It's, it's very much in flux. It, it's based on, oh, what happens at the next tax season? Oh, you didn't do as well? Well, you're out of your your job as a duke or whatever. Yeah. And so... That's a system just doomed to fail right there. Oh, oh, for sure. And and they recognize that, to be fair. And they you know, did, you yeah. The, That's what the, the whole scene. premise of the meetings was about, yeah. Yeah, and you, and you get the scene with, um, you know, the, the patriarch where he comes in and you find out that Aedon foresaw the problems yeah. and... and, and put it in his will that at his, at his death he would abolish that system freeze yep. everybody's ranks make it more like a standard uh you know noble yeah. noble system and that's something i forgot about in my last because i've read elantris and i think this is like my sixth or seventh time easy over the past you know five ten years but this is something that somehow i forget every single time and it's a surprise to me when i read it again is that proclamation from iodon at his funeral i keep forgetting that in the end, he turned out not as bad as we thought. I just, I every time I start this book again, I keep thinking, oh yeah, this guy, this guy, I hate this guy. He's no good for Erlon. But he did have that kind of posthumous moment where he kind of proved that he knew that what he was doing was wrong and that he was going to try and leave Erlon for the better after he died. Yeah. So, yeah. I I find, I find that to be without spoiling any other series. I find that idea to be prevalent in the Cosmere, that there are instances like that, not exactly really, throughout Stormlight and, and especially Mistborn, <laughs> where, where you have Brandon Sanderson sort of subverting your expectations for a character where he sets yes. them up as, as this, this like totally misguided, not necessarily evil, but misguided and yeah. like totally on the wrong path and missing the point. And then, hmm. and then they get sort of either... They, they either die or they're sort of removed from the picture. Yep. After the fact, you find out, oh, wait a second, they realized the problems and mm -hmm. they put things in place. Yes. You have to respect Brandon's ability, even in his debut novel, you know, uh, 13 years ago now, um, his ability to, to do that through, not through justification, but through just explanation, mm -hmm. right? To show that, like... He's not trying to pass his character off as, hey, so he was good after all. There's, there's, it's not so clean cut as that. But he just, you, you, you do have these continued moments, not just in Elantris, but you're right, in the rest of the Cosmere, where you initially end up disliking a character, and then you realize that you're just fost like your whole opinion was kind of mixed together to kind of dislike this character, and that there was actually something deeper happening there, and that it's not quite as simple as you think. And you actually do, like in Idon's case, I, so in some cases, 
ended up pitying him. But then I remember exactly what he was involved in with the just scary mysteries and that whole shebang. And then I kind of oh, just well. lose my whole sympathy <laughs> for him all over again. Yeah, yeah. This but is he by did no have, means, he wasn't without redeeming qualities entirely. Yeah, this is by no means excusing Iadon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. It doesn't have to be salvation. Explaining like, Iadon. You can have a great Yes. Idea. Yeah. It's, exactly. It's, it's making him a more dynamic character. It's he's yes. more than just an evil caricature of a, of yeah. a bad king. Yeah. And I appreciate that with Brandon. And it's something that some other authors could really pick up on. <coughs> Good kind. Yeah, <clears throat> right. <laughs> it, and it's awesome going back. This is his first book. And this is, as I said earlier, widely regarded as his worst. Mm -hmm. But I still I think, like the pacing until we get to the Sanders and Avalanche. See, yeah, uh, the Sanders and Avalanche is so very pronounced in this one. Yes, but I loved it. it. I pronounced. loved every minute of it. It's so it's oh don't get me wrong it was awesome but I still think it was slow pacing leading up to that point it definitely was no see I disagree I disagree with that in if it depends what you're looking for is what you're saying yes yeah it's the first two times I read this book I felt like that because it was yeah like I'm so used to Sanderson novels being chock full of action cinematic yeah you know you know fight sequences and stuff like that and that's just not there in this book. But what this book is, is a is a quieter, more intimate kind of book. It's more like, honestly, without going into details, Shadows of Self. Yeah, okay, I can see that. It's it's more about the characters themselves, their internal struggles. Yeah. And it's not about these, like, external life and death situations. Mm -hmm. You know, until the end. And in turn, it gives a lot more meaning. Yeah. To those big spectacular scenes that we're used to seeing, like for example, from the Stormlight Archive, and all, all like just again at, at the risk of using the word too much, just the spectacle that Brandon Sanderson is known for and loved for nowadays. But it's moments like these and books like these that you have to see these characters kind of grow and change a little bit. That gives so much more meaning to these later moments where these where you have this rise in glory, which you absolutely definitely saw in Elantris. I remember sitting on the machine at work listening to the audiobook and I was at, during the Sanderson Avalanche I was just going oh the glory you know the glory it's just it's so great but so that I, was given I, me I have a question about that though what okay. what do we think that Rayodin grew into what was his growth his growth was there his, you go this is, this is going back to what I talked about in the first episode where the central mm. conflicts for the characters were Important. focused on importance and Serini was the uh, aspiration to importance. With Craythen, it was the loss of importance, and with Rayodin, it was the denial of importance. And with and with Rayodin, we see that where he hides, he hides behind the mask of spirit. Yeah, yeah, which frustrated me. And, uh, my and first then we get and then we get into the latter parts of part two, and he finally makes that choice to step back into his role as the prince reveals himself mm -hmm. to Serini and says, I am your husband. I am the prince. Yeah. And when, and when yeah. uh, uh, Roal is killed, he steps right into the void. He recognizes, he makes that choice. I have to yeah. do this. I yeah. can't stop yeah. of like working from the shadows. I have to accept that, you know, not only are my talents important, but my public image is important for my people. And then, Good. and then he he has to accept that he's the only one, you know, he he's the one who figures out the situation with Elantris, mm -hmm. but he also has to accept that he's the one who needs to make the decisions for the Elantrians. Yeah, you know, like yeah, and and that key moment is when he decides, yes, I'm going to trust that step count 
mm-hmm. from Adion, yeah. and and I'm going to draw this Aeon and go to Teod. I'm yeah. I'm going to do this on faith because yeah. I need to set an example. Yeah, and there's there's a moment specifically with Rayodin that I want to focus on in terms of how he's trying he's he's coming to. First, like you said, he was denying who he was in Elantris, but he was still going on. He was still kind of giving himself away. Well, what ended up giving him away to Serene was his unwavering faith in hum- and humanity yeah. and the goodness inside of people. But there's, at the, like, and that's exactly what he was preaching inside of Elantris. Like you have these demons, for lack of a better term, just running around these mindless animals. And he's trying to make, you know, society out of them. He's trying to remind them what it's like to be uh-huh. human. He has this unwavering faith in what it means to be human and to pick good constantly. But then we see a flip of that when he's later in the book, you know, when the Sanderson avalanche is literally on the cusp of starting. <clears throat> when he is revealed by Dilaf, who's in the crowd, um, when he's about to take the crown, and it was Dilaf who manipulates the door in some unknown way to yeah, reveal yeah, who it was, like illusion. like what's wrong with with Rayodin. And then Rayodin has that moment where after, you know, uh, Serene's whole speech about accepting him as king and everybody starts to accept him as king, Rayodin has that moment, that introspective moment where he goes, I can't believe that that worked. I can't believe that they accept me, which is pretty contradictory to what he's been preaching up until this point, isn't it? In a way, I, I see where you're coming from there. He's just so full of self-doubt. Like, like yes. he's this weird amalgamation but he doesn't of come across confidence. Like, he's, he's confident when he's in the shadows. He's confident when yeah. he doesn't have to be at the forefront. But once he's on display, he loses his confidence. And mm-hmm. that's where that you know, that denial of importance comes from because yeah. he recognizes like deep down, he knows like, I, I'm like, I, I have this disposition toward making the world a better place. Yeah. But, but he kind of chokes under the pressure. He does. Like, it seems to me that he has confidence in everybody but himself. Yeah. Right. Is that, is that fair to say? And and that's where Serini comes in because she provides the that like foundation for his confidence in him. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and, and, you know, and like, that's one of the, the most amazing things Brandon did with this book is that Serini is the linchpin for everything. Yeah. She, she impacts, you know, she has her own central internal conflict with her, with, you know, striving for importance and trying to like find acceptance in the culture and all that. But She's also a catalyst for Rayodin's conflict resolution, yeah. and and she's a catalyst for Rayton's conflict resolution. Yeah. Serini is the fulcrum around which this entire story turns. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, Serini, I, I'll admit, she's not one of my favorite characters in the Cosmere. She, I don't personally find a whole lot of depth to her. I find that she's, uh, she's not... She, I, I don't want to say she's too much like, for example, Shallan from the Stormlight Archive, but she's um, like we. This, she's a she's a character that gets used a few more times, at least with her with her with as a I guess as a narrative device, where you have this kind of young female who is starts the book off being shipped to this brand new country with new customs. She's already engaged to some sort of either noble figure or some god king figure, like for example, on Nalthus. Um, yeah, and yeah, like Siri from, from, uh, Warbreaker, uh, we see Shalon kind of start to, to do that at the, uh, you know, on, in Stormlight Archive. Actually, I don't know if I, 
Maybe we should take that out because that's a specific plot point about Stormlight that I yeah, might no, like, not want included I, I in this. I see what you're saying though that that he has a lot of female characters who struggle with self confidence, immaturity. And, yeah, uh, and and to a fair extent, immaturity. That's a good point. Um, in the first books of series, I mean, you have Vin in in Mistborn. You have Ciri. He's a very very strong you know uh, it's, female it's protagonist. It's all about becoming comfortable in their bodies, becoming comfortable in their roles. And yeah. finding themselves, sort of accepting the way they yeah. are, and finding their self confidence. And to me, Serene just came off as a little too, a little too forced. Like she was just a little too competent at everything that was thrown at her. It just to me, it, um, it, it kind of took away a little bit of believability. But again, this this could be just a symptom of the fact that at this point, Brandon Sanderson wasn't a well-known author. He wasn't even an author when he wrote this book. He hadn't yeah, been published yet. Um, he hadn't had the opportunity to kind of master that craft um, of coming up with some sort of redeem. I don't want to say a redeeming quality, but something that makes them a little more human. Um, like with Shalon, she has textbook post-traumatic stress disorder, right? Um, yeah. Uh, with... Well, I guess with just Siri, it's just a lot of anxiety about, you know, go going to marry the God King, um, which is not a giant spoiler for Warbreaker because that's literally one of the first chapters, right? Like that's literally one of the first yeah, things yeah, in that yeah, book. That's... It's a premise of that book. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, now discussing, uh, getting back to Elantra specifically, I want to get back to that Sanderson avalanche and how how insane that was because the, the last 5 to 10% of that book was just like white knuckles like yeah, i couldn't yeah, even focus on what i was yeah. doing at work right um there was there's like uh there's a few things that that i totally forgot that i even happened um but these might be wider cosmere connected things do you want to move on to that yet or do you still want is there anything specifically out of elantris about the plot that you want to get out of the way first so i want to i want to get some of jared's opinions here uh oh, i just thought of one on, on yeah with, go ahead you know on on the uh the characters themselves and, and how their arcs were resolved and where they ended up at the end of the book. And also yes. on just sort of the way the world ended up after that avalanche. The way that you mean the political situation on cell in general? The political, the magical, the economic, because there, mm. there was so much of that tied together at the end there. There was definitely was like the geopolitical situation is, is in a, really interesting place yeah well yeah. i mean if we're talking <laughs> if we're talking the geopolitical situation you clearly have a war coming between elantrans and fjordan and yeah i guess tiad would be on one side or the other probably with the elantrans i guess you have the dynamic of magic magics of devotion versus magics of dominion and how they kind of come together in some really odd ways um, and how the, the Aeon door itself, or just, I should say, the door itself functions. Yeah, and so, specifically on the door, how mm -hmm. we, we now, you know, in part three, we see, in fact, a third uh, channel for the door with Shugan yes using Cheshan. Yeah, the Cheshan, yes. There are, there, there are many ways for the door to express itself, and I just really find it interesting how every... 
like they're all like they're the form based they all have shapes involved with the aeons of course you have you need intent you need an elantry and somebody to actually draw these shapes and bring them power with chase shan you seem with shooting you he seems to have to he, he can do it with his eyes closed which i find really really interesting um but he can fight and move his bodies and his body in certain shapes and there's a specific moment near the end where i think it's from lucal's point of view yes um the son of kyan that is where you see uh, a glowing trail behind um Shuden's movements mm -hmm. which kind of sounds familiar from something else we've seen but although i personally don't think they're related um with soul stamping of course you have wait hold on we're not discussing soul stamping yes not yet not yet not yet okay um and then with the dakor you have the bone structures and you have the symbols on them and stuff yep. like that um but with the door and this is something i didn't know honestly i admit i did not know this until the current read through the door itself is actually the <laughs> Is, and this is embarrassing. It's the mixture of devo like this, the remaining power of devotion and dominion. Correct. And how they kind of, they're merged in a, and not really merged. They're not like I don't want to say they're merged, but they're, they're they work kind of in unison. Um, they kind of are merged. Um, right. Like there, they're there they're, they're, they're not words of Brandon out there that they have become a singular entity. You know? Yeah. Yeah. No. And no, which. Not. There, there Which have would, been some theories put forth about that, but uh, with with what did he say? Sorry, I didn't pick up on that. He said unity. Oh yeah, I, I remember they used, specifically used uh, unity at one point to describe Shu Kesig, which is the, of course the parent yeah, religion yeah, of yeah. Shu. Yeah, they talk about like unity, and unity in uh, in love and and unity in service yeah. and all that. But yeah. anyway, um, the expressions of the door are clearly indicative of the door being a singular entity because you have. The, the Dakor monks, which are all about dominion, you know, you have yep. the, the Shudareth, which is all about dominion, and it still expresses the door. Whereas, yeah. you know, like the, the Elantrian uh, uh, version of, you know, Aeondor is is more focused on devotion. and Right. And so... I mean, isn't it all based on it? You're drawing upon the door, basically, but it all depends on your intent and your geographic location Correct. for what happened. Yeah. yeah, it definitely depends on your geographic location. Like, on the subject of how those two play off of one another, um, I had written something. I did write down some notes as I was going along with some impressions. And at one point, DLAF says something on this very subject that interested me. Um, he said, let's see here. Um Oh yeah, so there was a, the, uh, Raithen confronted Diloph about another uh, monk that he once sacrificed at Dakor to travel a distance that could be covered in about 15 minutes by foot. And yeah. when Raithen called him on how wasteful that was and how ridiculous that was, Diloph responds with absolute obedience is yep. necessary, right? And I thought yep. that was a very, very kind of suspicious thing to say coming from somebody like Diloph, who of course is so involved uh, as the Rogdet of the Dakor Monastery. Right. Um, but then I saw another theory on not a theory online, saw some sort of speculation on the copper mind, I think it was that on the flip side, the Sheode, which, of course, transforms normal men into Elantrians, seems to only take people who are particularly devoted to something. Yes. So so that is a really important thing that I wanted to talk about. Um, and and it, it also uh, digs into the 10th anniversary edition where. In, in this version, also. we actually get an Ars Arcanum. Oh, yeah. There was no Ars Arcanum at the end of the book explaining the magic and everything in the original version of Elantris. Yeah, that's for sure. In the 10th anniversary, we get that. And we actually get a couple of really interesting tidbits about the Cosmere in general. We get a, a new name of what we presume to be a planet. Um, but 
Yeah. The main thing is uh, Chris, who who is the woman writing all of the Ars Arcana, mm-hmm. and she writes the you know the essays in Arcanum Unbounded and all that. Um, she talks about initiation, which yeah. is the manner in which people in the Cosmere come into magical powers. Are we shifting to the Cosmere as a whole now with this discussion? Can the gloves just come off completely? Uh, Maybe to an extent, yeah. Okay. So she talks about initiation, and she doesn't explain the initiation process on Cell. All she says about it is that it's different, that it's not the same as Scadrial, where it's hereditary, or or on Taldane, or Vax, which is the new world we get a name of, which we presume to be a world. Um, so is this the big thing that Sanderson was saying we've been missing from Cell? I mean, it, it may be. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on. Go back to this. What was this? Sanderson said we're missing something big on Cell? Yeah, that, I talked about that in the first episode where I think there's like something in that library beneath the shard pool. Okay. Okay. I don't remember this. So she talks about how the initiation process on Cell is different from anywhere else. And I think it is based fully on connection to the intent of shards, where Rayodin clearly was devoted to the people of Aerolon. You know, you you have, what was it, Cain, who's devoted to, like, sculpting. And you have the cleaner, who's devoted to his job as essentially a janitor. And, like, you have these people who are made Elantrians, the, you know, the... the Sheod takes them and mm-hmm. like Karata, uh, Karata. I'm not sure how to pronounce her name. With taking care of the children. Yeah, Karate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they all have extreme focus and devotion to one aspect in their lives, and I think that is the the key to initiation in uh, Aeon Dor. So like, I mean, yes. all of these Elantrans have been extremely devoted to something in yeah their i think that's what the situation is here that's interesting i hadn't considered that but that makes so much sense yeah and and that's why i think so so we're going to go to that ending the postscript with hoyd that's okay. why Good. i think hoyd thought it would work because he saw himself as totally devoted to gaining those powers okay but okay. it didn't work because that's what his devotion was toward you know like like he's he doesn't have the the connection to the land mm. he doesn't have the connection to the intent combined to the land i think if devotion were still whole and still mostly in the spiritual realm where there wasn't that geographical connection hoyd may very well have achieved uh you know initiation initiation to and and but because he doesn't have the connection to the land and that identity with a capital I, he missed out, and and he's, you know, and that's what drove him to go to the Rose Empire and get the Moon Scepter, as we'll discuss in another episode. And that's what, and and that's you know, why he's, you know, we we recently got a word of Brandon that Hoyd has tried to sort of cheat systems, yeah, and it hasn't always been successful, and he's kind of given up on trying to cheat some of them, and has gone about like, all right, I just have to do this in the normal way. And it shows a little more about Hoyt, doesn't it? Like, he comes off as this all-knowing kind of figure, but in some cases, he can still be wrong, can't he? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, doesn't he come out yeah. right and say there's 
Which you I'm sure he would be number one. Just come out and say. There are things he still doesn't know. Yeah, yeah, Jared. Do you yeah. do you have the, the book here? Yeah, pull up that quote from Hoy when he's talking to the Skays at the end, um, where he's like. Happy. I'll admit this. This uh, postscript uh, scene I, this is something I only ever read once, so I'm very hazy on exactly what was involved in this scene. So for uh, for an overview for those who've only maybe read the original Elantris or don't you know, remember the details. It, it's Hoyd up at that shard pool in the mountains above Elantris. Mm -hmm. And he is there with what is described as like a black ball of light. Yeah. That it's, like sucks yeah. in light. Like, like it somehow yeah. gives out light and sucks in light. Right. And what that is, is a scaze. So where mm -hmm. Sion's are splinters, they're, they're pieces of the shard of devotion. Scaze are splinters of the shard of dominion. Which beforehand, we'd only heard referenced and Correct. that's only once by Diloph. we had yep. no idea what they were beforehand uh except for the fact that Diloph just said the skays are right the elantrians are not immortal and at that point most of us are going what the hell are those but then boom we finally get confirmation so you want to hear this, this specific quote from hoy yeah 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 so the skays is talking to him and saying you third filled utterly hoed uh, you're not one of them. You haven't the powers you promised you'd gain. You've accomplished nothing. What beauty is there in this situation? Hoib st stepped out over the pool with one foot. You do not know me well, friend, so I will forgive such a silly question. The beauty, it lies in the fact that there are secrets that remain unknown, and I love a good puzzle. And then he yeah. jumps in the pool. Yeah, that's pretty telling about Hoyd's character. It is. I like and and so going back to like just the what's going on in the scene. So so Hoyd is with the skates, and Hoyd has wrapped himself in bandages, and expects that when he pulls off these bandages, that he will be an Elantrian. Yeah. And he pulls them off, and he's not. And this skates just starts berating him, mm -hmm. and talking about promises. And and apparently Hoyd has somehow swayed the skates as a group, not just this one. Like, he, he has promised them that he could figure out how to make himself an Elantrian. We don't know why the Skays really care about Is this that. something that we gleaned from that scene, or is it something that Brandon has explained no, no, or expanded upon afterwards? It's in the scene. Is it? Yeah. Okay. Jared, yeah. can you pull that up again? I, I, uh, I, I gotta find that, that particular... Oh, I trust you. I don't, I'm not doubting what you're saying. So the Skay says, you didn't honestly expect to find yourself transformed. I kind of did, Hoyt admitted... And, and then the Hoyd goes, you would have felt the effects, or the, the skate says you would have felt the effects earlier. And Hoyd, Hoyd, you know, goes on one of his like weird little, uh, you know, anecdotes and, um, <laughs> Hoyd's weird little anecdotes. I love those. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He says, they're pretty weird, but I love frog, you know, well, it was mostly like a frog had an extra leg or two and was violet in color, but basically the same thing, slimy, <laughs> amphibious, etc. <laughs> Oh, what a guy. I feel like that's some of Brandon coming out in Hoyd sometimes. Yeah. Um, he gets to, he gets his opportunities to be really cheeky with, with Hoyd. I love it. So so uh the Skaze says after after Hoyd says, you know, there's beauty in every disaster friend, if you're clever enough to find it. And the Skaze says, Is that so? You have failed utterly, Hoyd. You are not one of them. You haven't the powers you promised us you would oh. You've accomplished nothing. Okay, there it is, right there. I just peeked the mic when I did that. <laughs> For whatever yeah, reason, the skays want to know how initiation is achieved. And it makes sense. I mean, like, could you imagine if yeah. if you get a Dakor monk who also manages to achieve initiation in Aeon Door? Yeah. Damn. 
Like Damn, that, 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 wins, that wins the world. That wins yeah. the world for Fjordan. And we know that Elantrians are very, very powerful. Like in terms, like Brandon has said several times that, you know, between like a fight between like a Shardbearer and a Mistborn and all these other um, invested oh, yeah. kind of beings in his in his Cosmere, that an Elantrian would be very, very difficult to kill. Yeah, and an Elantrian like wields, just like on a raw scale, mm -hmm. the most power mm. of any... Uh, Directly proportional to your distance, of course, from if they're close. Well, yeah, yeah. Elantris or Cell yeah, as a whole. If I you're guess, an Aralon, if you're an Aralon and you're a like a master Elantrian, like good luck. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you you could throw a couple of surge binders at them, and that Elantrian oh, yeah. would blow them away. Yeah. So is the door just all in the cognitive realm right now? Yes. Yes. So if you were yeah. to travel to the cognitive realm. Be very dangerous. Would you just get pulverized or something? Correct. So so. uh we're going to touch a little bit on, you know, the Stormland Archive here, where uh, in, in the hardcover version of the Wave Kings, there's a map yeah. and the back cover of Shadesmar, which we yeah. know now is is like a, a local term for the cognitive realm. Yeah. And this map of Shadesmar, obviously it is for the Rosharan, as we call it, the, the sub-astral of Roshar. Yeah. But in the four corners of it, there are... Um, you talking about the Nexuses? Nexi? Well, so yeah, there, there are Nexi. Are the expanses. And then there are expanses. Yeah. Um, the, the expanses are in the four corners. Okay, the those four are the four corners of it, we have the expanse of the vapors, mm -hmm. the expanse of the densities, the yep. expanse of vibrance, and the expanse yep. of the broken sky. Broken sky, yeah. And so we know that the expanse of vapors is Scadrial. Yeah. Which makes sense because, you know, this cognitive realm. Yeah, exactly. So the cognitive realm is is uh, perceived, it, it appears the way people on that world perceive that world. And yeah. on mist, you know, on Scadrial, they perceive mists. It's all about the mists. So you go into Especially considering Scadrial is created by the two shards in the first place, so there's a much deeper connection between those two shards. Oh, sure, sure. And Scadrial as a whole. Yeah, so, so the expanse of the vapors is, is the Scadrian sub-astral. And then you have the expanse of vibrance, which is Nalthus. Yes. It's all about colors. Yep. Vibrance. Love it. And then and then the remaining two are the expanse of densities and the expanse of the broken sky. Mm -hmm. The expanse of densities we know now is cell. Because yeah. the cognitive realm there is so full. It's mm -hmm. it, it's basically this wild storm of investiture. It's, it's just pressure is what it yeah. is because the, the the door doesn't have, for the longest time, didn't have access to the physical realm. Exactly. And it was torn away, I suppose, I, I hesitate to use the word away from the spiritual because it doesn't necessarily have a place. But all of that power of two shards, not one, but two shards of Adenalcium are stuffed into the cognitive realm around cell. And, and we see that pressure coming out in Elantris where Rayodin yes. has these attacks. Attacks, yeah. And he finally figures out how to let his body be a channel for it instead of a block. Yeah. And so yeah. it's that pressure that, that creates the expanse of the densities. And we figure that this happened to him because of his continued practice with the Aeons and how the door recognized that he was the most likely gate, I suppose. What do you think? I, I think that is the case, yeah. Yeah. Um, and how that first Aeon was so much more powerful than it should have been with the fire yeah. and how it destroyed the bookcase, I think it was. Yeah. Um, and then so the final expanse that we see on that uh, Rosharin map of Shadesmart is the expanse of the Broken Sky. Yeah. And we do not have a confirmed location for this. But I like Drew's theory. 
Yeah. My, so I'm, I know exactly I'm, what you're going to say. I'm 100% certain that I'm right on this, and that is yeah. Taldane. It yeah. is a, a world that, it, you know, if you're, if you're not familiar with White Sand or if you're not familiar with, uh, you know, some of these Cosmere theories, uh, Taldane is the White Sand world. It's where Chris is from. She's the woman who writes the Ars Arcana. Um, it is a tidally locked world. So half of the world is constantly in sunlight and half of it is constantly not. And yeah, it's tidally sky, locked at one of the stars. The broken sky. They, they talk about day side and dark side. It is, and, and so it makes sense that with the way people perceive the world, when half the people are perceiving it in this like dark, uh, you know, dark sky with ultraviolet light. Because yeah, I love the ultraviolet. Second, like, so a, nice. a more distant star. It's a system. really cool kind of atmosphere. Yeah, and then and then the setting. other side is this like desert. You know, constantly Barren. beating down sun. Right. When you go into the cognitive realm. It's going to be a broken sky when half the people are thinking about it being dark and half the people are being, you know, thinking about it being sunny. It's going to be a broken sky. So, I I am quite certain that that is the case. Uh, yeah. And, and in fact, in in just a like a, a week or so here, Brandon Sanderson will be in Denver. Uh, for the Skyward signing tour. Really? And I... Oh, Skyward's... Uh, oh, my God. Well, that's that's pretty soon, isn't it? Is that Tuesday, November, November Tuesday, 6th? Yeah. yeah, Tuesday. Oh, sweet. Yeah. Sweet. Um, and so so at this signing, uh, I'm hell-bent on getting a final confirmation on the expanse of the Broken Sky from him, where I'm, I'm just going to, like, beat him down with relentless logic about why it has to be Taldane, and then, <laughs> and then wait for him to admit it. So, awesome. You um, let me know how that goes. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see. I, I have quite a list of questions. Um, uh, it may require multiple like passes through the signing line. Um, but, but yeah, so so with Cell's uh, cognitive realm here, um, it, it is what Jared said. It's it's extraordinarily dangerous, but yep. it's not impossible. Obviously, Hoyt, Hoyt has yep. figured out. Um, and, and it's so dangerous, and we have a word of Brandon about this, that despite how dangerous it is, Hoyd, um, Hoyd sees it as more valuable to gain access to sell than the risks of getting there. Interesting. Interesting. So, like, wait, what, so, so you're talking about his agenda, that how it must be then. Like, he's got something planned specifically. Yeah, like, like there's something, something about the magic on The way he's collecting different pieces of investiture. He's got a plan. We're just trying to figure out what it was. Were you about to say something, Jared? I didn't mean to cut you off. So I was saying, I forget. I need clarification on this. When you're, okay. like, maybe we don't know, but when you're going th through a perpendicularity, are you going mm -hmm. through the cognitive realm? As in, Hoyt has been through the cognitive realm on Cell? Yes. Yes. And survived. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so that's how world hopping works. Um, yeah. I, and again, for for anybody who's just getting, into I love the, the mechanics of this. Who anybody who's getting into the Cosmere or, or who's just learning about world hopping, um, there are three realms. Mm -hmm. uh, there's the physical realm, the cognitive realm, and the spiritual realm. And the the physical realm and the cognitive realm are location based. And this yes. is why those those two shards of devotion, devotion and dominion splintered being in uh, in the cognitive realm for cell is such a big deal because shards normally reside mostly in the spiritual realm. Yes, they're independent of location, and so because they are dependent of location on cell, the magic is based on location. 
Yeah. Where the further you go from Aerolon, the the weaker your Aeons get, you know, as I'm yes. And and so anyway, um these perpendicularities, these shard pools, we see one in Elantris where uh, they they throw um, the the uh, our beautiful friend, as it were, they throw him in and, and they throw Rayoden in and, and he's given this offer of escape. Yeah. That what that is is a perpendicularity. It's it's a hole kind of driven through all three realms yeah. that provides access to all three. Yeah. And so you can go from the physical to the cognitive realm. And in the cognitive realm, locations are all about how much thought is given to them. Exactly. And, and this so, is how it's possible so to... So all of this, you know, light years of space between planets yeah. and stars... There's no there's thought no there. no thought there. Exactly. Exactly. So that space doesn't exist in the cognitive realm. That's how you have the expanse of the vapors, the expanse of the broken sky, the expanse of the densities, and the expanse... Which one am I thinking of? Vibrance? Uh, did I, did I miss vibrance? Yeah. Um, because these worlds, you have Nalthus, you have Taldane, you have Scadriel, um, Roshar, of course. You, you have... Um, all these worlds where there's sentient life and there's thought there. That's why there's an expression of that in the cognitive realm. But in the vast, vast unimaginable distances of space in between in the physical realm, there is no thought there because there are no sentient life forms there. And that distance does not exist in the, in the cognitive realm. So you can literally walk from one world to the next yep. as long as you know what to do how to get through that perpendicularity, how to transition from the cognitive realm into this physical realm and vice versa. So then how does Hoyd survive the door? That is a great question. I will, I'll tell you how, because Hoyd is a badass. That's how <laughs> Hoyd well, that's an easy answer. survives that. Yes. Yeah, no, he's, he's a boss. Um, but, but yeah, so, so uh, with the uh, Selish system, it is... Not like a, a major, you know, port for world hoppers. There, there are not going to be many who are going there, other than Hoyd, you know, just because of the uh, difficulty in it. But we do know, and I'm not going to get into again. I'm not going to get into plot specific spoilers, but we do know that there have been several uh, Elantrian. Yes. Whom we've seen world hopping to other worlds. Yes. So it is not impossible. It, it, it is a, it's a just doable thing. Difficult. It's just difficult. Yes. So I think I remember seeing a words of uh, words of Brandon saying that the like just being in the cognitive realm on cell, um, the door takes on like the kind of shape. It's, it's kind of like a plasma like substance that just rages around. So that'll give you an idea as to just how chaotic it is with the powers of devotion and dominion being condensed into just, just the cognitive realm in the area of cell. Mm -hmm. Now, there was uh, I just have a couple points left over in my notes here that I wanted to talk about um, concerning um, DLAF specifically and some things that are going on with him that are very suspicious. He keeps claiming that he hears his dead wife's voice in his ears. And I want to talk about that specifically because we've seen other instances of things like that in the Cosmere. I'm wonder, I want to get Drew and your input as well, Jared. Do we think that this is kind of connected or is this just like a sign of DLF's um, breaking sanity, if you want to call it that? I mean, it wouldn't surprise me, but my first impression is that it's simply his sanity. He's just batshit crazy, maybe. So I'm going to say that I think it's real. I think Diloph's wife is a cognitive shadow. Okay. 
Yep. Because what we know about cognitive shadows... When you say it's real, as in... It's it's like seer talking to... Um, because what we know of cognitive shadows and how they work... Somebody dies, and we do have words of Brandon now. Like, you have to die to become a cognitive shadow. So when you die... Yeah. You briefly appear in the cognitive realm. Yes, if, before you... If you've had, you know, if you've used large amounts of investiture in your life, the amount of time you hang out in the cognitive realm gets expanded a little bit. And yeah, you have, or your ability to resist the pull into whatever the beyond represents. And so when your time is up in the cognitive realm, you get pulled into the beyond, which is not the spiritual realm. It is a totally yeah. different thing. Beyond shards. Which is a mistake that I made for years. I thought the beyond was the spiritual realm. I didn't find out until like a year ago that that yeah, was yeah. not the same thing at all. But so... What we know about cognitive shadows is the way to anchor yourself, which is what we see Kassier did. Yep. You know, it, oh, oh, that's a <laughs> cut. Yeah. Well, we'll have what to happened? Um, or, or bleep that out. Uh, but anyway, so what, what we see a, a particular character do is, um, you you basically replace your own soul with the raw power of investiture, and on cell. I think that should be very, very easy to do because you die, you go into the cognitive realm, and you're surrounded with a metric ton of investiture. Oh, my God, that's right. Everybody from Cell would have to go to the cognitive realm first when they die, so I didn't consider that. Yep. Holy crap. There is so much investiture there. If you can figure out a way to just be like, oh, I'm going gonna, gonna to grab a little bit of the door here. <laughs> And, and replace <laughs> Hang on. my soul with it. Oh no, I'm a cognitive shadow. <laughs> oh no, look at this. I have a cognitive shadow. What has happened? What, what a Love shocking it. development. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, what is, it's it, awesome. it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, man. that's so. really cool to consider though. But yeah, specific, so like, what about you? So, Drew, you said you think that it, it, like, the screaming voice specifically could be a cognitive shadow of his wife? 100%. Yeah. Because we know, and this is this was an excellent discovery. I was really impressed with uh, how Brandon was able to throw this in. Um, the that old story of that woman that Rayodin stumbled across an Elantris who who was mistakenly healed by an Elantrian, and then had some sort of adverse side effects that definitely sounded a lot like the Elantrians themselves, how they were later, and how the Shayod had like hadn't completed its transformation. Um, but then it comes back full circle. And then we hear, we find out that that was Delaf's wife, and that's why he harbors such a loathing for Elantris, yep. right? Mm -hmm. um, I just, I thought that was that was incredibly cool to see that what we thought was just a throwaway little moment, a little story that Rayodin found that might have been a hint for something later on on how to cure it, turns out to actually directly involve some crucial characters here in this story and their motivations. I loved it. I loved it. Yeah, and and so uh, keeping on the theme of of uh, Fjordel priests. So we know with the Elantra sequel that... Yes, yes, I want to talk about the sequel. It's going to uh, uh, focus on different characters, mm -hmm. but that they will have been ancillary characters in this first book. Yeah. So I, I know I've seen a lot of theories about how like it's going to be like somebody along the lines of Adian or... Uh, yeah, Kion's children. Yeah, yeah, Kion's children, Lucal. But I think just purely based on the fact that a Fion. He yeah. was. He was. Yes. He had that. Yes. Go on. Sorry, I didn't mean. He to, was the. I, I know exactly what you're going to say. The Aralon Chapel of Shudareth. Wait, wait, yep. wait, wait. Whom? Who? Uh, his name is Fion. Fion the uh, the one who uh, Dilaf replaced. 
at the very beginning. He got oh, replaced at the very beginning, uh, and then he shows up at the very end and yeah. stabs Hraithan. Yeah. And, and essentially kills Hraithan. And then he has that moment where he just goes and orders breakfast, and that's the end of his storyline. Yeah, I like, love that. In the middle of he, all this chaos, yeah, Fionn gets I this little... I feel like he has to be a main character curtains. in Elantris too. Yeah, we I need, had the same thought yesterday. Not with the day, way though. that Brandon has set up Elantris with, with the Selish, you know, kind of conflict here, where yeah. we have a couple of main characters from the Devotion side of things, and then we have one from the Dominion side. Theon yep. is gonna be that Dorethy priest, that you know Fjordel character, whom we will follow in Elantris. Yeah, I mean, I think yeah. will other factions on Cell be a part of? Well, speaking of, it would not surprise me. The Rose Empire, like that, that we see from yeah. the first soul. Yeah, yeah. S- yeah. Speaking of other factions, though, I now this is something I just read on the Copper Mind uh, about a day ago that they're. In, in Chris's essay, specifically um, on Cell, she mentions Cell's three great domains. She doesn't say two. She says three. So it makes me think that there is actually an as-of-yet unknown uh, big continent um, that has yet to be revealed and might have actually a big part to play in go- going forward. I can't wait for the Elantra sequels. This is a point of contention I've had for quite a few years, actually. Um, I, as much as I love everything that Brandon's been putting out for years now, I, I just, I'm frothing at the mouth needing the Elantra sequels. I need those things. Because uh, like, what, what do we know about it? We know that apparently uh, the, the Derethi are claiming that Yadith is free, right? I'm pretty sure I, I read that that's been confirmed by Brandon, that the, the Derethi are claiming that Yadith is free in this next book and that there's something happening with that particular religion that's very important. Oh, I, I have not seen anything about that. I would have to... Okay, I'll have to check it out because Brandon. don't take that as fact. This is let's Consider that speculation at the moment because I'm pretty sure if that was confirmed, Drew would probably have heard of it. By now, <laughs> I, I I don't I know. Have no idea. I don't know every word of Brandon. I will say that. No, but you're damn close, my friend. There are definitely things that I haven't heard before. Um, but I I will say to your point about the like the three main you know powers, the three main areas. Um, I always assumed that meant uh like the the Aralene lands. Uh, okay. Fjordel okay. lands and the Rose Empire. So we have okay. Aeondor, we have the Dakor magic system, and we have the. Uh, oh yeah, that's good. Fort. That could be it. The specific word that, that, that she point. uses is empires that are unaware of each other. Did she say empires? I thought she uh-huh. said like um, domains. Uh, empire. That doesn't matter. This is semantics. Yeah. Um, well, well, so same I, idea. I do though. think that's that that does matter because that changes uh, my my point there because we don't. The only two empires we know about are the Fjordel Empire and the Rose Empire. So she says. So maybe Rob is onto something. She there. says central well to the system is the planet of Cell, home to multiple empires that uniquely have remained somewhat ignorant of one another. It is a willful kind of ignorance. With each of the three great domains, oh, pretending oh, she says domains, mere blips on the map. Oh, so shit, she uses I it. empires and domains. Okay, right? well then, so my point still stands. A little yeah, bit. yeah, it yeah. stands. I, I think the I think you could make a case for like the Elantrian Empire mm. encompassing yeah. Aralon and and Teod, and then you have the Rose Empire and you have the Fjordel Empire. 
Um, the Rose Empire, of course, being covered in the events of the Emperor's Soul. Um, do we know if there's anything else coming out of the Rose Empire? Or maybe they'll be involved with the sequels of Electris. Sorry, go on. I didn't mean to cut you off. This is AU stuff, so I don't know if you want me to get into it. But mm -hmm. we, I, we I, can, I would let it sit for now. We can um, avoid yeah. it. But, but yeah, so I, I think in general, for Elantris, we've, we've kind of covered the main the main storyline pretty, yep. pretty comprehensively, and we've touched on a lot of the Cosmere implications of this world. Yeah. Do we have any uh, final thoughts, as it were, uh, Rob? I do, specifically about Wraith. I want to bring it back to Wraith one more time and just recognize how awesome that character was and how well he was written specifically with the fact that he got that full circle. Now, his first viewpoint claimed that he was headed to Aralon and he was going to save that people. And then the very, very final scene of the book, um, I, it might have even been the very, very final line, was his, um, his funeral and Serene's uh, eulogy for him and how she claimed that when we think of this man, think not of an enemy, um, think of a man who helped us, he was our savior. Yeah. And how that specifically the word savior was used to both open his character and close his character. And I thought that was that was just, I think, one of Brandon's greatest uh, feats of writing to date. That was yeah. that was incredible. Fantastic. So, yeah. All right, Jared. I would just say in general, I was pleasantly surprised. Um, I think coming from the unique perspective of having read other Cosmere stuff from him, and just more recent things from Sanderson, I could definitely tell that there are some weak points in his writing, I think, in, oh, in Elantris. Sure, sure yeah. Um, but even that being said, you can tell right away, I mean, the talent's there, and, you know, especially with the avalanche at the end, I cannot think of a more pronounced Sanderson avalanche. Yeah. Off the top of my head. Um, yeah. So I would just say I was pleasantly surprised. I thought it would be worse than it was. Yeah. And uh, Brandon came through. It's a signature Brandon, Brandon style. Brandon came through, and it's like, it's kind of, it's kind of nice to see his earlier writing and how some of his signature things, you know, are Where present even were. then. Yeah. yeah. And I guess just as a wrap up, I don't know, like I'd give it like three and a half stars out of five. Sure. Would be my official review. Yeah. yeah. What, do you, what do you think, Rob? What would you put? As far as the rating system for how good this book was. Yeah. Out of five stars, I'd give it like a 3.8, probably. I think it was, it was a solid work. Go, go a little little more precise. Yeah, so so my, my final thoughts here were that this book is much, much better than I remembered it. It's yeah, much better every time I read it, it's like, that's right, this is I awesome. think most people give it credit for. And it makes me hungry for a sequel it, every time I do it. It is, in many ways, a more ambitious literary work like like from a a more how do I put this like from a, a more critical reading standpoint you you really have to dig into this book to recognize the genius of what Brandon Sanderson did here which is not what I normally think of for Brandon Sanderson I love Brandon Sanderson I think he's yeah. my favorite current you know ongoing fantasy writer but I also approach his books as like more or less popcorn reading like it's, sure it's not something i'm gonna read and be like oh wow this is like gene wolf here you know where i i have to 
you know, dissect every word and, uh, and, and be paying attention to all of these sub themes and, and allegories and all this stuff. And, and it's not on that level, but this, this book is subtle in ways that none of his other Cosmere works, at least, are. Um, he, he, he gets into a little bit of this with Legion, with his novellas there, but this is a lot better of a book than it gets credit for. Yeah, I so, agree, 100%. So after this, my, my third read, I'm, I'm upgrading my rating of it to four out of five stars. I was thinking it the same. I was like, four minutes. I will say that yeah. I think I enjoyed it more coming in with Cosmere knowledge. Like, I wouldn't recommend this as a book to a new person just entering the Cosmere. So, so I will say, and and this is a thing for publishing. Uh, Rob and I, Rob and I, uh, posted. Unfortunately, we didn't get like much that we could really uh, work with. Um, Rob and I are administrators oh, of the Cosmere Theories Facebook group. CT represent. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, if you're interested in this kind of stuff, uh, you know, shoot a join request over. Uh, we'll, we'll add you in. You can you can jump into the conversation. Um, but one of the comments on on the post we made was uh, bringing up that I particularly have a, a recommended reading order for the Cosmere. Yeah. And, and it's got my seal of approval on it. Definitely seal. I'd say Mistborn first. Approval. And, and so that that is that is what. And that's how I did is. it. Mistborn I was first for me. Mistborn Era One first. It is more action packed. It's it's more um, magic oriented. It's more exciting overall. Yeah. Um, but I do think Elantris should be second up. I think. Yeah. You, it has to be done early. You get you get your uh, confidence and your trust in what Brandon Sanderson can do by reading Mistborn Era 1, and then you dive into Elantris, and you see his earliest work, his earliest published work, and you get a feel for how he can really dig into character more than just, like, large-scale, epic, apocalyptic conflict. Yeah. And... And then you go from there, and and as you move on, you're going to get more of a blend of those things. Yeah. Growing up to at this point, the Stormlight Archive, which I think yeah. is his, without a doubt, his best work. Um, yeah, <laughs> and that's saying something because the man has a lot of incredible, uh, a lot of incredible work to his name. Not oh, not yeah. even counting the Wheel of Time, what he managed to do with the Wheel of Time series, who, which we'll be getting into <clears throat> in later podcasts. But yes. <laughs> I just when we talk about Brandon's style, I just want to define it for me as the ability that Brandon has. That's so it's it's just so much better than any other author I've really seen, even though other authors uh, have definitely attempted, is to hide something in plain sight, to just to hide something there uh, that at the end you think, oh my god, it was there the whole time. How was I missing this? He, yeah. It brings you right to the edge of hopelessness. Everything is is over, and then he gives you another hit, and it's like, oh, maybe this could work. No, it doesn't work. But then there's that one little crucial detail that comes into the, the light at that one crucial moment, and it just begins this cascading effect of everything being revealed to you that you thought you knew, that you totally missed somehow, even though it was right under your nose all along. Yeah, so, 100%. Yeah, that's basically I, uh, how I wanted to sum up Brandon's style, if I were to say that. And so on that note, 
I would like to take things into uh, the final draft here. Good. Yes. Let's talk about it. Uh, so, Rob, what are you uh, drinking today? As, as far as drinking, I went once again with the safe uh, the safe choice of just Molson Canadian. I got a tall boy, I poured it into a glass, and I enjoyed a nice, refreshing Molson Canadian. Because I'm, I'm just, I'm a simple guy with simple needs, right? But it's so good. I love it. Fair enough. Jared? Yeah, um, so, you know, I'm uh, not sure, sure how often I'm going to appear on here, but when I do, you'll definitely notice a pattern. <laughs> um, stouts like and anything like stouts or heavier beers and uh, this one in particular is from the Boulder Beer Company it is a chocolate porter called Shake oh it's, Shake. it's excellent oh it's uh, so good you could pretty much imagine what it's like if you want the official description uh, Shake velvety smooth with subtle coffee like notes this porter serves a devilishly delicious dark chocolate finish. I'm going to write down every one of these that you guys are drinking that I don't recognize. Last one that you drank last week. There it is. Shaked. Uh, hold on. Right here. I already have the one written down from the last time. I'm going to write this one again. Sorry. Hold that up again real quick. Shake. Shake chocolate uh, porter. Chocolate porter. Okay. Boulder Beer Company. Awesome. And the one you were yeah, drinking yeah, last Rob, week, Drew, I have it written down, down here. Visit us? It was New Belgium. La Folie, wasn't it? Yes. I had it written down right there when I yes, come so down eventually. Week, I am, I'm drinking another Colorado beer uh, from Left Sweet. Hand Brewing Company. It is a, uh, uh, it's a nitro porter, or excuse me, uh, excuse me, it's a nitro uh, Russian Imperial Stout. So, so like really, really sweet, very malty, uh, high ABV. It's a 10.2% beer. It is called Damn. Wake Up Dead. Damn. And oh I God. think this is <laughs> Now I see why you were saying earlier. Wow. Extraordinary. That was great. Because I love how you managed to sit on that for, hold on, an hour and 12 minutes now. <laughs> that was awesome. Made up nice. Because this book opens with a one and a half page prologue, and then we get our first major character point of view of Rayoden as he wakes up officially dead. That's awesome. Nicely done. I That's good. A right, round of applause for you there. That was nicely done. Cheers. That's good. So, so yeah. Um, so, yeah. And so, uh, just to, to kind of wrap things up here, uh, we, we are finished with the Elantris. Yeah, we this has been Inking be Out Loud, next. episode two. Uh, we are looking at diving into The Rune Lords by David Farland. Um if you haven't read it, I, I recommend you check it out. Like me. Uh, if you want to follow along with us as we read it, we'll be reading about the first half of the book for the next episode. Um, Rob has not read it before. Yeah, this will be a change for me because I know Elantris pretty well. I do not. I've never read uh, David Farland. Yeah, and so and Jared and I have both read it, and, and Jared will be back on the podcast for this next one. Woo! Oh, sweet. So I'll be able to give my impressions and my predictions. <laughs> exactly. But, <laughs> I just realized but that, that said, while Jared and I have read it before, it has been quite some time. It's been years. Um, so there will be a lot of new discussion for all three of us. Uh, we're excited to dive into it. And and if you're a Brandon Sanderson fan listening to this podcast because of Elantris, I will just say hey this. If you, wanna, if you want a recommendation for a new book to read, Rune Lords is the one to go for. Brandon Sanderson himself has said that the magic system in the Rune Lords is the single best magic system he has ever read. 
damn. This is how Drew got me to agree to Rune Lords as a second book to get into. He actually specifically said that uh, it's very it's very geared towards Brandon, not geared towards, I don't want to say geared towards, but it's very, very um, likable for Brandon Sanderson fans because it's it's very similar to his kind if of... If you want a magic style system of attitude that will give you awesome action scenes, but will also give you something to consider on... On like a philosophical level and and will work into the world building the way brandon does where you're gonna have the magic impacting cultural systems economic systems moral systems rune lords is the place to go sweet so that's gonna be next up uh, uh, on our uh, agenda here. We're gonna be doing the first half of the first book of the Rune Lords, which is called The Sum of All Men. And uh, yeah, so uh, we're gonna wrap up here, I guess. This is- uh, Yep, that's it. You know, our second episode. Is, and we're yeah. excited to be doing this and we're excited that everybody is listening. So thanks for joining in and uh, we'll catch Thank you Thank you very time. much, everyone. Awesome. Let's continue this on later. See you guys. Peace.